Welcome, everyone, to the Extraordinary Games Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dave Winchester, and joining me today is my good friend Harrison, yet again. And today we're going to be talking about Halo Combat Evolved, also known as Monkey Nuts, for those of you who know the history of Halo. I'm very excited about this episode. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you might know that this is my number one favorite game of all time as of right now and probably has been for the last couple of years at least. So I was super excited to talk about this game. At first, we wanted to talk about Fable, the Lost Chapters for the podcast, but unfortunately, neither one of us has played it in a pretty long time, and I've actually never played Fable, the Lost Chapters. I've only played the original Fable. We decided to go back and take a look at a game that we both are very, very familiar with, and that's when we ended up on Halo Combat Evolved. Another note about this episode, it will be split up into two parts, mostly because the episode itself is about two hours long in total, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And if you factor in the intro and outro and a few other things, that's a a super long podcast. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up between the story parts and then the gameplay and kind of technical aspects of the game and our memories of the game. So expect it to stop about an hour in. And then you can catch the rest of it the next week. I'm also planning on recording an episode on The Last of Us on the PlayStation 3, 4, 5, whatever you play it on, pretty soon with Logan. So expect that one probably after the next Halo podcast. I also want to take this time to thank my one and only Patreon supporter, Johnny V., for supporting us on Patreon at the $1 level. You can take a look at the Patreon if you would like. It's in the description, or you can just go to, you know, patreon.com slash extraordinarygames. We are there, and we have a few different tiers right now. There are going to be bonus episodes at some point in time going up on there once we get anybody that subscribes to the level that gets you the bonus episodes. You also will get a call out on the show just like Johnny V got. And you'll get a bunch of other perks like access to the Discord and stuff if you feel like doing that. If you don't feel like doing that, I'm going to thank you for listening to the podcast anyways. I really, really appreciate any and all support. I'm glad you guys are still listening. I'm glad you're still taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast and join me every single week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As for what I've been up to, mostly just playing games here and there. I'm still playing God of War Ragnarok. I'm playing a little bit of The Last of Us to catch up for the, the podcast episode that's coming up. I also wanted to play The Last of Us just because I've been really, really taken in by the show. I don't think there has ever been a video game-based property that has converted so well from video game to show or movie before. So I'm really excited about that. And I really wanted to compare the show itself to the game because so far I think the show is doing really really good most of the time but I do think the game itself even just playing the remaster that came out in I want to say it was like 2014 I still noticed that some of the scenes in just the remaster actually work a lot better in the game than they do the show so expect us to talk about that when that podcast comes up in a couple of weeks. Otherwise, I've gotten a few games in this week. I've actually gotten Signalis in on the Switch, which means I'll actually be able to play it a little bit more because so far I've just been playing it on the Xbox because it's on Game Pass, but I'd like to be able to play it on the go. The Switch is kind of my go-to console as of right now 
just because I can take it anywhere. Like I was on vacation. I was able to take it and play Bioshock then for the podcast. And it's easy to catch up on games that I'm trying to do for this specifically. And the good thing about it is it has a lot of classic games and a lot of collections on it. So if I really need to hop back to an older game and it's on the Switch, that's ridiculously convenient for me. One day, I do hope to get a Steam Deck. I actually work with somebody who has a Steam Deck and has me really intrigued right now because he's talking about a lot of the different emulation stuff he can do on it. And that would be like absolutely perfect for this. So if I wanted to go back and play games that aren't necessarily on the Switch and that I can't get a hold of, at least I'll be able to play them on the Steam Deck if I'm on the go. And keep in mind, I, I do emulate things, but the uh, my game collection is ginormous. So I have to say a majority, if not almost everything that I emulate, I own in some some respect, whether it be digitally, physically, whatever. I've paid for it. Those rights holders have gotten what they, they need. So I'm not just like super excited about emulating literally everything. It's mostly just stuff that I already own that I would love to be able to play on the go. That's what really entices me about the Steam Deck. Plus just playing my Steam library because I have a ton of games on steam and absolutely no time to play them when i'm at home so if i could play them on the go that'd be perfect and one last note before we get into the podcast i don't know if it's going to be in this episode or the next episode i really can't remember the point where we talk about halo infinite and i get into the fact that one of the heads of the studio like at bungie when the original games came out came back to work on halo infinite and i think i say jason jones it's not jason jones it's actually joe staten that came back and uh reworked the story and did some stuff so that's just like a slight little amendment to the podcast coming up so just keep that in mind when that section comes up i was listening to something later and i was like oh shit i totally fucked up on who that was so just keep it in mind otherwise i'm not going to take up any more of your time thank you for listening to this pretty short five minute intro and i hope you enjoy the first half of this podcast i really had a ton of fun recording this one with harrison it's probably honestly one of the favorite my favorite conversations i've ever had on the show so please enjoy and once again thank you for listening every week Harrison, how's it going? We're back. We are back. It's going. It's going. So, uh, full disclosure, I thought our next episode after the one we recorded with, uh, the one we recorded together, which was Bioshock, I thought the one after that would have been Fable. Neither of us has really gotten too far in Fable. So, uh, Dave, what are we doing today? We are doing my favorite game of all time, Halo Combat Evolved on the xbox 
And I'm very, very excited to talk about this. (laughs) Yeah, right. Surprise. Neither one of us knew we were going to do this, but we decided that we had both (laughs) probably played it enough to say that we don't really need to brush up. We don't need to play it over again. Even still, I watched, I, so I watched a YouTube video that was just the history of like the making of the Halo franchise. So it started off with Halo 1 and I've gotten as far as Halo 5 right now. And that kind of caught me up on like the the game and the story and all the crazy stuff and, and led me into some backstory. But like I after doing that, I realized I didn't need that. I know so much about Halo. I can run this game in my head from start to finish and probably not miss a thing and know where every enemy is. That's how bad it is. And uh, I like Halo a lot, much less than that, but I still love it a whole lot. Uh, one of my earliest gaming memories is uh, playing Halo Combat Evolved. I remember my brother got an Xbox, an original Xbox for his birthday, and we got got Halo with that. I was a dumb child and looked at it and thought it was hollow. So that's a fun (laughs) little tidbit of my life you can enjoy. But apart from that, I remember being just absolutely floored by it. I think I never made it too far when I was younger. I didn't beat it until a few years on. But I remember seeing the... What's the what's the second mission called where you're on the ring proper? Is that just called Halo? That's actually just called Halo, yeah. I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, video games are beautiful. Like specifically that mission. And I was like, this is it's never gonna get better than this. And uh it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it got it got better, but that I agree that Halo as far as game design goes and how that level looks in the way it just inspired straight up awe when you get out of that escape pod is one of the most i would say like the moment that was burned into my head the most as far as my early like career in gaming when i was i think i was like 16 when i played this for the first time and i remember going through the first level and thinking like this is very similar to a lot of the first person shooters that i've played because when you play the first level the it's almost it's starts off as kind of a tutorial and the cool thing about it is even though it starts off as a tutorial it still feels very much like you're playing a full-fledged level and when once you get off of the pillar of autumn and the the ship crashes the escape pod crashes on halo the second you get out of that ship and you look around and you see this absolutely gorgeous fucking skybox with the like light coming like the sun actually beaming through the trees and then you see the waterfall and you realize there's nothing really guiding you where to go they just they dropped you on this planet and you're pretty much free to do what you want that moment right there was like holy crap this game is unlike anything i've played so far in my life and that's really where the game hooked me, which is crazy because it's only the second level of the game. And that's something going forward. The Halo games have always been really great about at least the core series. They've always been really great about integrating tutorial with gameplay. Like the first level, you you learn the basics of like, you know, look up, look down. You know, what about if we inverse it? That whole thing. But you also get more of the refined gameplay just naturally through playing it. And then in future installments, it's the same feeling. It's like it's there, but also 
you don't really need it. You never think that you're being educated on how to play a game. And that is one thing that later on in life I didn't fully appreciate until like having a larger amount of games to play. Just how how refined Halo or how much Halo refines the first person shooter genre. Because the the tagline combat evolved, that really was they weren't just, you know, gassing themselves up because prior to that, it was like Medal of Honor and early Call of Duties, things like that. Now, Call of Duty is a laughingstock. Medal of Honor doesn't even exist anymore. And Halo is still around, still making games and still trying to push for something new. That's the craziest part about Halo is they use the tagline combat evolved. And at the time, it, it was just it seemed like just like a throwaway line, like Halo combat evolved it it needed some sort of like kind of like you know subtitle to go along with just the halo name but when you play the game you realize especially if you played it back in 2001 when it launched because i got it for christmas of 2001 if you go back and listen to my video on like my top five games of all time this is number one and i go through the story of how like my parents pretty much lied to me that i was getting an xbox for christmas to like you know, hype up that moment when I actually get the present and stuff. And I remember distinctly playing Halo. And the thing that really blew me away was prior to Halo, I was playing games on the Dreamcast that were first-person shooters. And the Dreamcast only has one analog stick. So playing those games was really difficult because you were using essentially face buttons to aim. And it was really hard. And I was playing Twitch shooters like Quake and Unreal in that, that way. And then I get Halo... And I realized, hey, I have like a th- second thumbstick, like the PlayStation 1. Like I'd use the dual shock for the PlayStation 1. But the second you get your hands on the controller and it gives you the tutorial how to look up and down and how to move. After that initial tutorial, the, the game just kind of clicks. Like there's no button on that controller that feels like it's out of place when you're, you're hitting it. Like A is to jump makes perfect sense you know you click in a thumbstick to crouch beautiful you have a melee button that's right on the face and not only that you can control movement with one thumbstick while you're controlling your look with another and it all just works perfectly and then once you get further into the game and you realize that you're not just playing a first person shooter you're not just like running around shooting enemies the enemies are really smart the enemies can not only you know group up on you and attack you and use tactics that you also have this wealth of different stuff that you can use all these different weapons which are all fit roles very specifically and you can only carry two of them i don't know if that was because they didn't know a way to switch between weapons quickly without limiting how many you had but that alone gave you so much more strategy when you were playing the game like you can only have like either a pistol and an assault rifle or a plasma pistol and a shotgun. You kind of had to mix and match what weapons you were using at the time. And then when you get on Halo and you rescue those first Marines and then they drop off the Warthog and you're like, holy shit, they're giving me vehicles that I can actually drive. And they feel pretty good to drive. At first, the Warthog feels kind of loosey-goosey. But after probably the first like two minutes, you understand that wherever you're looking is where you're going to be driving. And it clicks. And that happens with every vehicle. So no part of this game feels clunky, which is 
one of the first games I ever played that was a shooter of any kind that on console felt like it should. There was no weird control issues. There was nothing that felt out of place. Everything just clicked so perfectly. And when people talk about Halo and they're like, oh, the game's overrated. I'm like, I don't think the game is overrated. I think the game did something for the first person shooter genre on consoles that literally no other game could have done at that time. And it's important to note this was this was a launch title for the original Xbox, right? Like it was maybe not a, a launch title, but it was early on and it massively contributed to what was Microsoft's attempt at, you know, bursting into the gaming market because prior to that it was dominated by Nintendo and Sony with the, you know, Nintendo consoles and PlayStation respectively. And then Microsoft wanted their hand at it because they've been in the hardware and tech fields for eons at this point. And they enlisted Bungie, who at this point, I don't recall everything they did prior to this, but one thing that heavily influenced what would become Halo was a game series they did called Marathon, which is just like a boomer shooter. Think if Halo was a boomer shooter. I played Marathon Durundle. I played that long ago, and I remember just getting lost a lot in that. But to go from doing like easy accessibility, like boomer shooters, like like that with Marathon, to what is Halo? It is a masterful display of understanding gameplay development because, like you mentioned, with the first level, you're being educated. You're being brought down linear paths. There's not really anywhere to go, which is how you really should introduce somebody to something. And then the second level, once you get all the basics down, you're just given open reign. You're given more things to play around with. And it's a nonlinear sequence of events. You're told to go find three detachments of Marines, see what they're up to. And you can do it in any order. It's just that there happens to be some paths you can take where the game will kind of guide you. But if you want to just drive the warthog around and explore, that's totally fine. It lets you do that a little bit and shows you like it shows its hand where it's like, yeah, we can do regular gameplay shooter, but also we can do a little more. And that's why you should can you should keep playing. And I think the cool part about that, too, though, is the fact that as you're playing the game, there's no point at it where when you're playing it that it feels like the game is artificially funneling you into an area like first person shooters before that there would always be like invisible walls or things that keep you from going to place to place or the level design would make you feel like you're in an artificial environment that is is more linear than it really should be but when you play halo like when you're on the ring there's mountains blocking you in but those mountains are so off into the distance that you don't realize that that's your gameplay border, essentially. It just feels like part of the level. And the whole time you're playing, they do such a good job of making you feel like you have free reign to go wherever you want. And there's no invisible walls holding you back. There's nothing that's artificially... like It doesn't feel artificial when you're in these environments. And I would want to say that's probably one of the first games that felt like that. 
Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. And it employs a lot of strategies games still use to this day. I know Half-Life 2 popularized, um, or at least this is where I learned it from, where the development team for that, you know, they would, when they would do playtesting, people wouldn't know where to go, so they would just put a light source where they wanted your attention to go. Halo does that, but it's not showy about it. I was racing through trying to just beat a couple levels before recording this, just as a refresher, and... It was incredibly easy. It was just like, all right, I go there. Like, that's just, you know, that's how I would do it. That's how I would want to run through this. And it felt completely clean. It's a really easy game to pick up. But when you stop and study it, it is fascinating. The level of detail and care that went into every aspect in this. I'm talking graphics. I'm talking gameplay. I'm talking the music, the mm, the music of this game. Oh, the music of this game is what makes the game. From the very opening screen, when the Microsoft logo comes up, straight into the the crazy... Everybody knows the Halo theme. Like It's going to play right before this podcast because I got to use it. But that oh, theme... It. Yeah, that theme is just like so burned into my head. And it's so classic. And Marty O'Donnell, the, the composer for this game, is... I, I can't stress enough how much of a genius he is and how much the music itself really made this game like i can't imagine playing halo without the soundtrack going along the same time and it's not just the main title soundtrack it's every single track of this game and it all fits perfectly and the craziest thing is when i was watching i watched a few documentaries about this over over like the years and they pretty much gave him like three words of what they wanted for the soundtrack, for that main theme. And I think it was like ancient, uh, mysterious, and uh, there, there was one more word that they gave him. And he came up with this entire thing based off of three words. And not only does it work with this game, the soundtracks get better game after game. And... I I honestly want to say the worst thing that Bungie ever did was let him go as a composer because nobody has been as good as he is, in my opinion, since Halo came out. Like, this stuff can be put up against, like, Star Wars and, like, the Marvel movies soundtrack where their, their themes are just so ingrained in people's heads. Like, you can't play the Halo theme anywhere and have somebody not know exactly what it is like almost everybody knows what the fuck it is and it's one of those games where it has transcended being just in gamer culture it's like mainstream appeal it's even the music like people who have never played halo know the theme at least some of them do you know but the music is just groundbreaking for it because it makes you feel what they want you to, but it's not in a like hard string tugging way. It's just like, you know, you're doing something amazing and epic and you want that music to swell and it does. And you're like, yes, this is enhancing the experience that I was already having. And you know, Marty O'Donnell, he is just a fantastic, a fantastic and incredibly well-rounded person all over. I was watching interviews with him and other Bungie employees, I believe it was concerning Halo 3's development. And I think it was after Halo 1, 
he went on to be the creative director for at least Halo 3. It may have been Halo 2 as well. But the man speaks with so much passion on everything he does. Music is secondary at this point to him. But it is also just an incredible spot where he shines like no other. It is immaculate how well composed the soundtrack for not only Halo Combat Evolved, but future Halo games are. It is mind-boggling. Because it seems like every game should have it, but obviously it's just not in every game. It's true. This game, the soundtrack lends so much to this game that without it, it would not be the same. And you're right. Marty O'Donnell took over Halo 3. I think he ended up being like the creative director for a bit, and the he pretty much wrote part of the story. So he wrote the main story beats to finish up Halo 3. And... Not only that, you have to realize this guy was also in charge of getting the performances out of the voice actors. And that might not seem like anything today because like, there's a lot of good games with, with great voice acting that are coming out now. But back in 2001, a game, especially a first-person shooter, with this cinematic story and this actually really solid voice acting. like The voice acting to Halo 1 holds up pretty well even today. And you have to think this game is like 20 years old now. Like just put it up against other things that came out around the time of the original Halo. It's no fucking comparison. And you'll instantly realize why this game is held in such like high regard even 20 years later. And it's sad that this game was actually remade back in 2011 and it's in the Master Chief collection as the the remastered version or the I don't I guess you'd call it a remaster, but I prefer actually playing that game in the original graphics because I feel like they hold up better than anything that the remaster did. And the same goes with the sound design. The sound design, you can do a remastered sound design for it, but it's like it's not even fucking worth it. I've thought about this constantly. Anytime I'm playing the Halo, it called it Halo Anniversary. I guess now it would just be the Halo 1 remaster for the Master Chief Collection, but... I think about it every single time where I'm constantly switching between the graphics, which that's a genius little thing to do. You can switch on the fly. Fantastic. But I think constantly, which do I like better? I love the readability of Halo 1. You see the different enemy types. You can just see them from afar and be like, that's an elite, that's a hunter, that's a grunt, that's a jackal, that's a human. You're never getting them mixed up. But if you switch to more modern day graphics, which this is also a reflection of where graphics have gone towards nowadays. This isn't exactly a reflection of Halo specifically. It's just the meta of games nowadays. Halo 1 has style as well as substance. Is it a product of its time as far as the graphics, graphical capabilities go? Yeah, definitely. They were pushing the hardware to its absolute breaking point. But it's also just so well stylized that it holds up in that regard. They could have done nothing to change the graphics, and it would have been fine. You know what's nuts, though? I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this because, you know, I'm old as fuck. There was a trailer that came out, I want to say it was either a year or two years after the original Halo for Halo 2. And it was a trailer of just him walking down... Like he was walking 
down the back of a pelican and i think he grabs a battle rifle off a wall and like the the window opens up and it's got real-time lighting effects and just thinking of that trailer there's there's something so unique about the art design for it i really really wish that when they would go back and and do these i I want them to like go back and essentially remaster the halo trilogy but just use what they wanted to use as far as art design for that halo 2 trailer or even i would even say like the original halo 3 trailer because what they what they always do at bungie is they'll kind of put out the teaser trailer as what they really hope the hardware can do and it's always like absolutely fucking beautiful and then once they start developing the game they're like ah shit you know like the hardware isn't as powerful as we thought or we have to trim back real-time lighting or we have to do this and do that and then what we get is a little bit of a watered down version like they still look great like if you go back and play fucking halo 2 looks amazing like the game looks great even with like the texture pop in and all the issues that that game has it still looks good but if you're looking at like that original like e3 trailer and even the e3 gameplay trailer where it ends with him like going down the highway and he fucking clicks on the plasma grenade i can only just imagine what would it what it would be like if they were able to produce that quality of game and I, I just one day, I wish there's like, I know there's probably an alternate universe out there where they just like somehow got that power that they needed to make that game happen. But I would just love to see them go back and make a Halo game with that art style because it looks so fucking beautiful. I would love for the Halo games to experiment more. I feel like like 343, not to put too fine of a point to it, but they get a bad rep on things. And being fair to them, how the hell do you follow up the original Halo trilogy? Like, that's a that's a tall order, and it's why Bungie didn't want to continue with it. They wanted to move on to other things. Because, you know, it's a, it's a catch-22. You either, either stop making games about Halo, and people hate you for that, and then pester you every single day of your life. Or you keep making them, and then people shit-talk you, and say, oh, you you killed Halo. And what I would genuinely like to see is just experimenting with it more. I really like Halo Infinite. There's things I would change about it, no doubt, but I, I've i wanted an open world Halo for a while. I wish there was more things to do in it so I could play it more, but it's I appreciate the experimentation. And it feels like in the original trilogy... They were kind of tiptoeing with the idea of it, with, you know, changing up the gameplay formula. But also back in the day that, you know, you didn't really play around too much. Not on the original Xbox, at least. Like, you had a series that was doing well, keep doing it. People talk about Call of Duty being the same thing nowadays. Have you played any of the original ones? They're all the goddamn same. Same thing with Medal of Honor and every other shooter at the time. Like, if a shooter was a series... It was exactly that. You weren't getting anything new out of the same series. But Halo was always, you know, toying with the idea of like, what if we change it a little bit? But I always appreciated that. And they always worked hard to make the best Halo game they could do. I think that 343's main issue is the lack of direction and leadership each and every time. Because if you look at Halo Infinite in particular, that game didn't come together until, uh, was it Jason Jones 
who is the writer of the, I think, Halo 2. He's the one that came back and kind of like put the project together. I could be wrong about it, but I'm pretty sure it's it's um, Jason Jones. And it just, it didn't, nothing came together until he came back and kind of write, like ended up writing it to where it should be. The biggest thing is a lot of the people at 343 now, especially, are not Halo fans. They're They're Call of Duty fans making a Halo game. Or they're being pushed to make something that appeals to more audiences. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you if you know the game you're making, like if you know what Halo should be at its core and you make that game, you don't need to appeal to another audience because a great game is going to sell regardless. And Halo's biggest problem right now, I think, is an identity crisis. When it comes to the campaign, they they kind of know what Halo is. Like if you look at Halo Infinite's campaign, outside of the fact that the the story itself is just very fucking lackluster, the gameplay is the core gameplay of it and what makes it fun is still there. The biggest issue is the multiplayer, and they're trying to make it a free to play Call of Duty game every fucking time, and it just it doesn't work. Like. You have to realize that the people that really love Halo, like a handful of things about the Halo experience, and there's always just something missing with that. With me, I personally like the Halo multiplayer when I have time to actually fight back after getting shot. Like, I don't like quick time to kills. If I get hit with a battle rifle, I want options to be able to like go around a wall or use an armor ability to get away from it and buy time and do all these different tactics. And it seems like as Halo has gone on, especially the multiplayer, that time to kill has gone down and the speed has ramped up. So it's far less tactical than it should be. I really think if they were to go back and look at something like Halo 2 and Halo 3 in particular, because that... I don't think anybody would argue that that is the pinnacle of the series. That's when it was selling the most. And take the core ideas from those games, but expand upon them. Make it an open world game, but use the core feel of Halo 2 and Halo 3. Maybe cut back on the crazy weapons because, again, they keep doing this thing where they're adding more to the game that doesn't necessarily need to be there. We don't need fucking Promethean weapons anymore. I'm sorry. The Promethean weapons are just shittier versions of the Covenant weapons. That, like that, we don't that entire just subgenre of weapons and gameplay. I, I stopped playing Halo multiplayer at four. I never played five. I own it. I've never played it because people just constantly dog on it i'm like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna hold off on this and when i went to play halo infinite i was like should i play halo 5 and then the game started and i'm like oh this has nothing to do with what i know about halo 5 that's interesting all right and a lack of vision is definitely holding back halo going forward because the core gameplay of halo infinite i like it a lot couldn't tell you what the fucking story is about because <laughs> it's bad <laughs> that's the thing like Two dudes trying to find home? That's fine by me. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, but, but I want also, you to do this. I want you to do this. Tell me the main villain of Halo Infinite. Who was it? Tartarus. He's dead, but fuck it. Tartarus. <laughs> it's like you have... So, the beginning so, of the game kills off the main villain, and then they come back with like this weird ancient you, thing. It just it doesn't make sense. And like, did you that's, play Halo Wars 2? 
uh i played it i never finished it but i know okay. about the banished and i know about but you, play, uh, you played halo 5 right yeah yeah okay so i played halo wars 2 all the way through and you played halo 5 so if we combine our knowledge on these two pretty much unrelated games maybe then we can figure out what the plot of halo infinite is somehow no because that, see, both of those are related it doesn't work that's the biggest so going back to halo one all right we're, we're gonna we're gonna circle back around real quick halo one's biggest like biggest accomplishment is think about how halo one starts you start on the pillar of autumn right you've just uh, escaped a covenant the covenant uh glassing of reach but you don't need to know that and you go through the entire campaign of halo one knowing that there is a backstory for these characters and what happened before. But guess what? At no point in the in time are you worried about that. Halo 1's story is so self-contained. And then if you really beat the game and you're like, I really want to know about these characters, then you can go back and read Fall of Reach, which I did. Like as as a I never fucking read as a teenager. Fucking nerd. And I went back and I read the book because I was like, I really wanted to know like how this story began. And I get why it's a book and not in the game because they only had like a year or so to make this game once once it was bought by Microsoft. Hence why they repeat all the fucking levels. So like if you, you, if you go through the first half of the game, once you get to the first half of the game, the game just kind of like runs itself in reverse after the library. And it's because they didn't have time to make the rest of the levels but they just made it work it's incredible that a lot of people the first time playing never realized that like i never realized it the first time playing i realized it on subsequent ones it's funny you mentioned that because i was looking at the like levels in the master chief collection and i'm looking at it i'm like assault on the control room okay yeah i remember hating that level not hating it but it's just like the weakest one one of them at least and then i saw three i love assault in the control room (laughs) that's that's a (laughs) Yeah, too slow. I got you though. Enough. I I understand. But then, but then afterwards is three four three guilty spark, and I'm like, ooh yeah, that's a nice little eerie one. I like anything spooky, so that's fun. More on that later. And then it's the library, I think. And then it's two betrayals, which is just like you said, playing assault on the control room in reverse. And that was when I was like, oh hold up, hold up, hold up. That's just the same level. Yep. And they do it throughout the entire game because what's the last level of the game? You end up back on the Pillar of Autumn again. And that's the first level of the game. To be fair, you get a sweet-ass driving scene out of it, you know? Which I fucking love because you know why I didn't have to fight a goddamn last boss? Exactly! It's the smartest decision they made. (laughs) It was genius and then it became a staple of the series yeah but you know like look at halo 4 for instance how the fuck does that game end you put a Um, sticky grenade on some guy and he falls into like a a time anomaly or some shit i don't remember i've played it four times i still don't remember yeah Uh, one day we we're just gonna do the whole halo series at some point we'll go game by game because i have some some really weird hot takes on halo four to be honest with you because like i both love and hate that game for multiple reasons i'm inclined to agree but that'll be another thing entirely yeah but as far as halo one goes it's a self-contained story at no point do you need to know what happened on fall of reach to enjoy the the story of halo one 
the biggest issues with the sequels to this game is the fact that you need to read all the fucking books to figure out what happened after Halo 3. And that's where 343 fucking sucks. Instead of giving you... Like, for example, I just played started playing God of War Ragnarok, right? You know what this game does? It tells me, hey, right in the beginning, in the main menu, do you want to know what happened in the original God of War? And there's a fucking recap. I, I so appreciate that because I haven't played God of War 2018. I should, I should say God of War 2018, not the original God of War. I haven't played God of War 2018 since it came out. So it caught me up on the story. If you play fucking Halo Infinite, I even if you've played Halo Wars 2, you still don't know what the fuck is going on for the first half an hour of Halo Infinite. So, And that's I've, the biggest flaw. I played Halo Wars 2. I can't fucking tell you the story of that either. I just remember there's a brute and he's like a big bad one. And then somehow he's related to Halo Infinite. But then he immediately gets killed off off screen. So then I immediately lost any knowledge I had going into Halo Infinite. And that's a huge problem. They just can't make a concise story. Halo 1 ends in an ambiguous way where, you know, you're just kind of chilling. And it's not sequel baiting or anything. Looking at you, Halo 2. (laughs) <laughs> yeah the, but but halo 2 had an issue where it was like they they you can't had just that game two made. and had to make a third one you know no so what ended up happening is there was like a lot of issues with halo 2 during development where they wanted to put so much into the game and microsoft kept going to them being like listen we need to out by this time and then they would be like it's not going to be done by that time and then they'd like kind of like kick the ball down the field but they knew when they were given that last hard release date that they were not going to be able to finish the game. And instead of going through and trying to to half-ass the campaign and half-ass the multiplayer just to get it out, they decided that they were just going to cut off the second half of the campaign, put in all their resources as far as like gameplay development into making the multiplayer perfect and making the, the, the missions that they had left for the campaign really fucking good. And then kind of just allow Halo 3 to finish up the, the saga. But Halo 1 was just like it kind of the same thing kind of happened to Halo 1 like Halo 1 there's a reason like I said why you repeat those missions again they didn't have time but honestly they did an excellent job in Halo 1 covering that shit up and the other cool thing about Halo 1 is they do this awesome thing halfway through the game where they introduce the flood so that way when you're going back through the missions again you're not just going through the missions in reverse you're going through the missions in reverse while watching this all-out fucking war happened between the Covenant and the Flood and you trying to get through it and survive, which makes the repeats of these missions like new again because it's not the same gameplay going on. It's it's much more varied with this like second enemy faction, you know? And that's definitely a big part of it is it not feeling like you're just repeating it because you know limited budgets are definitely a thing but bungie was knowledgeable on how to make how to stretch that dollar and how to stretch that time to make it as impactful as possible and introducing the flood you know they're zombies fuck it alien zombies if you boil it down but they're more than that it's just 
is a great little twist on the gameplay. Right when you feel like you're getting the hang of everything, then it introduces more. And that's what I love about the enemies in Halo, at least early on. They all serve a purpose. The grunts are some of the most satisfying enemies in any video game to combat. Because you just have a bunch of them, they're super easy, but they can take you down. And they may employ, the AI may employ tactics against you, but you can also employ your own against them. Like if you, you'll see grunts with elites around them. If you take out an elite, the grunts freak out and scatter for a bit. So then you can take them out easier. That's fucking genius. That's a great gameplay aspect because it makes you think like, all right, do I take out these really easy little guys or do I aim for this one big guy who's going to, you know, kind of strategize with them? It's a fucking great little thing. And also just replaying it now, I was looking at it, I'm like, this is fantastic. This is a lot of fun to deal with. Like these, every combat encounter becomes like a little puzzle with how you want to handle it you know that's what makes this game so fun in subsequent playthroughs because the ai never does the same damn thing it's one of those games where the the higher you go as far as difficulty is concerned the game doesn't just make it harder in a cheap way so a lot of games if you crank up the difficulty like look at games i'm looking at you fucking call of duty where if you crank up the difficulty in call of duty the enemy hits do a shit ton more damage, but not only that, the enemy is really fucking cheap with being able to shoot you when they shouldn't be able to, or just blast you without you ever even seeing an enemy. So you'll just like pop out around a corner, get shot like four times, just fucking die. And then you have to reload the checkpoint. This game, you up the difficulty. Yeah, the enemies do a little bit more damage. Yeah, their accuracy goes up, but their shots are always trailed because their plasma rifles and plasma pistols their bolts take longer to get to you. So you can actually, if you're really good, you can kind of juke a lot of the shots coming at you, even though their aim is better. But not only that, the enemies have slightly more shield. The thing that really will get you on legendary difficulty is the fact that the AI it becomes so much smarter. So instead of you just being able to go in, like pop an elite and then take out the grunts, those elites will employ really tricky tactics and they'll know when they're about to die and duck behind rocks to let their shields recharge just like you do. So it's almost like fighting another person once you get up to legendary difficulty. And then if you have like two or three elites, it's it's a whole different ball game. Your whole tactics and strategy going into the situation will change because you'll know, hey man, if I get hit by like a couple shots from each of one of these guys' plasma rifles, I am fucked. So then you have to start employing other tactics and using things like grenades or sneaking up behind them and like trying to like stealth kill one of them before the other one gets you, which is what makes this game so fucking amazing as far as gameplay goes. Because not only do you have like these cool guns to use, like every other first person shooter kind of had at the time you can melee enemies and not only melee enemies, but there's like stealth kills. Like if you can sneak up behind an enemy and hit them in the back of the head, you're going to insta kill them. Not only that, you have grenades that are a quick button and those grenades will change the way the, the game plays because if you have a group of enemies, you don't have to worry about switching weapons to go to a grenade to take them out. You have like, you just click in that left trigger and the fucking, you'll toss that grenade. And if your accuracy is good, you can wipe out three or four enemies 
out of a group of five or six, and that evens the playing field right away. The gameplay in this game is so fucking tight and so good that you can see why other games tried to copy it after it came out because it just works fucking flawlessly. And all the weapons serve a purpose, like we mentioned earlier. Even something you think is completely shit like the plasma pistol, when you get into higher level gameplay of it, that becomes the meta. You use the uh, the noob combo that might just pertain to Halo 2 and onwards. Oh no, no it still works here because you can fucking you can charge plasma pistol shot elites yeah. and then like one shot and then in just the face headshot them. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if noob combo referred to the plasma pistol it, and battle rifle specifically. It technically <laughs> does, but I mean it still counts as the noob combo. Oh, it does yeah, the absolutely. same exact thing in Halo 1. But that's what I mean. It's that little twist of gameplay where it's like, why would I use this piece of shit? They're dying super easily. And then you're like, give me that piece of shit. I'm going to fucking do something. <laughs> it's an ever-evolving game. It's a really fantastic little microcosm of how games, like, if you could see it with hindsight in mind, you can see, like, games were always going to take influence from Halo, whether they knew it or not. Call of Duty used to be like Medal of Honor, for those who remember that. Or boomer shooters of the past where you just had all your weapons all the time. Call of Duty used to do that too, if if I'm thinking right. Is that is that accurate or am I mistaken? I think the first one might have. I'm pretty okay. I don't know. I've never I honestly have never played anything prior to Call of Duty two on three sixty. I could be mistaking myself here with Medal of Honor because I always played more of the Medal of Honor games than the Call of Duty ones. I still played a mix, but regardless. Halo was always going to influence its its predecessors and future generations of things. And arguably, that's still the case today, but it's kind of taken a back seat where it's more influenced by Call of Duty than I feel it should be. But the main gripe I have is the stories, but Halo 1's, it's just so perfectly concise. It's all wrapped up so nicely, and it ends with without like a a wet fart of a boss fight which like how how the fuck are you supposed to end a first person shooter you know like call of duty kind of gets it i think i don't know they just have some cinematic ending but halo it's a very hands-on game where it's like all right well what do we do you end with a driving montage essentially and it's fucking badass like the music swells you see all these explosions. The graphics are like, it's like somebody at a pyrotechnics control board is just like, and we do this and this. And then we got fucking Marty O'Donnell just bah, 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 like in the, everyone is just fucking popping off. And it's like, holy shit, I am really playing something amazing. That's how I felt doing it. At least I was like floored. I remember the first time I beat this game and I remember it was uh the like a morning or two before I had to go back to school, so I knew that it was like a now or never, or I'd have to like wait a week to really finish it up, and I just decided to grind to the end. And I remember getting to that last scene where I, you know, it starts off and you're in a pillar of autumn and you have to fight your way through, and then you get to the elevator that brings you up to where like the parking garage is with all the warthogs, and you get in. And again, the game doesn't tell you where to go. It doesn't tell you 
anything. Like Cortana is just like, you got to get the fuck out of here. And you, you drive out onto that little like hallway, essentially that, that just leads you to the end. And there's all these different paths that you take. And I think I died once or twice doing it, but at no point was I annoyed by it. It was one of those things where it was like, oh man, I should have went left instead of right. I saw that wall over there. You know, I I didn't know it was going to slow me down that much or, you know, those types of scenarios. The only gripe I have with that last scenario is there's a, a ramp that you have to hit where you like ramp up and then fall down really, really far into this little uh, U-shaped ramp at the bottom. And for some reason, it's kind of like, it's because the physics in this game aren't exactly physics. They all use this like weird like ball simulation that kind of just mimics how things should react as far as gravity is concerned. And if you hit the ramp like just slightly off, your warthog will actually like flip and like launch you out of it. Or you could land a funny way and get like launched into your death. And that happened to me once. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And I had to replay it. But again, it's one of those things where it's like, how many games even had any sort of physics engine at the time? Like pretty much it was Half-Life and they were just breaking boxes. But then I got to the the very end of the game and I saw the cutscene. And I was like, I have never played a first person shooter and had an ending that was just so satisfying. There was no part of that ending in that whole ending sequence where I was like, well, this is fucking stupid. Like, or, oh, I don't want to fight this stupid bullets, bullet boss. I mean, a uh, bullet sponge boss. I just want to, you know, finish the game. It just worked so well in the context of Halo where it was like, yeah, you know, you're just, you're just trying to get off the ship. You're really just trying to get off the ring, which was what you were trying to do since the start of the second mission. So it all makes sense and like works together. And then you see the the ring fucking explode. And it's just such like a moment. You know, it's it's everything about that last stage and that ending just is so good that I never felt like they could top it. And then they came out with Halo 3, and I feel like the Halo 3 ending topped it. The Halo 3 ending, I remember just being so moved by. I was like, this is it. This is all the Halo games we're going to get. Little did I know. But... You know, Halo 1, the story, it just, it's incredibly simple, but the ending is equally simple where it's like, we've achieved what we wanted, but you're left with this feeling of like, oh, we're just kind of aimless in space right now. But, you know, and it's it's hopeful in that way. The, the thing that I really like about Halo, the original Halo trilogy, Halo 1, 2, and 3, is there are a lot of time gaps between the games. So there's the time gap between when Master Chief uh, blows up the original Halo and Halo 2 starts, and he's on, uh, I can't remember the space station, the Cairo station. There's a huge time gap there that's never explained. But you don't need it to be. You can just assume he was rescued and that he ended up on the Cairo space station. And the same thing occurs between Halo 2 and Halo 3, where Master Chief, you know, ends on the uh, the spaceship that, uh, I forgot what the prophet, is the prophet of truth? Oh, yeah, God. the high prophet ch- of truth, and they go on to, is high charity the city or that ship he's on? It's the city. The, the ship that he's on is just a forerunner ship. But when he escapes on that ship and Master Chief ends on the ship and he says, you know, I'm going to finish this fight. 
and then Halo Three starts, Sir, and he's falling Halo down to Earth. Three. Yeah, uh, and then uh, yeah, and then Halo Three starts. Like you don't really need to know what happens between Halo Two and Halo Three. You can assume he was ejected from the ship in some way. There is supplemental material that tells you what happens between each game. Like there are books. Uh, I, I want to say it's First Strike. Or yeah, I'm pretty sure it's first strike that tells you what happens between Halo One and Halo Two. And then there's a comic book series that tells you what happens between Halo Two and Halo Three. But you don't need those. And again, the thing that annoys me is that anything past those original three games, if you want to play it, if you want to play Halo Four, Halo Five, Halo Six, Halo Four has four books that go along with Halo Four that you should you don't have to read, but if you want to know the backstory to the game and actually what's going on in the game. You have to read those four books. Halo 5 is the same way. There's like three books in a fucking miniseries you have to watch. And between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite, there you have to play Halo Wars 2. And there's probably a fucking book somewhere along the line that you'd have to read. I don't know what the fuck 343 is doing and why it's so goddamn hard for them to just make an easy sequel to a game that people can follow. That's the biggest fucking issue with the franchise right now. Like... Just be like the original trilogy I can, in the story. I can give them some leeway because video games, I feel like they were never meant to get to the point they're at now where it's like, it's cool. It's profitable is the biggest thing. It's so commodified to the point where it's like, you know, the, the budget to profit ratio has to be crazy at this point where it's like, like, say you're making a Halo game. They're just going to shit money at you. It's like, <laughs> here, here's $200 million. I don't know how much it takes to make a Halo game. Here's an insane amount of money. We expect to get that back times 10. And it's like, how the hell do you do that? Uh, make them play Halo Wars 2, I guess. Like, I like Halo Wars. I like real-time strategy games. I fuck if I give a shit about that though. <laughs> like <laughs> I played it. I don't give a fuck about it, but I played it. But you shouldn't have to. Like you if you're shouldn't. a Halo fan, you but shouldn't that's, have that's to. That's where they're that's where they're at now is like you have to work all this in. For Halo 4, I was horribly confused at the start when you see an elite and he attacks you and all they say is a lot can change in time or whatever. It's like, that's a lot can bullshit. change. Like, I think it's like three, I can't remember if it's three or seven years. There's like a lot can change in that laughable. time. It's like, well, hold up, dude. Like, where's my boy Arbiter? What the fuck? It's a good story. Like, they just need to explain it. That's the biggest issue. They don't explain anything in these games. And even when they made Halo Anniversary, they put terminals in to explain backstory to the forerunners. They didn't have to, but they fucking did. And they could have done the same thing to the the newer games. They just didn't. And I don't know if it's lazy or stupidity or what's going on. I, I think part of it is just a lack of caring to develop it in a coherent manner. Because there's, yeah, I believe it's in Halo 4, where they talk about the... The actual Spartan program is just incredibly fucked up. Uh, not to get too deep into the the non... I don't want to say it's non-canon because I don't know. But the non-video game related lore of Halo. The, 
I guess we should just talk about Halo 1 a little bit in this. <laughs> but, but Master Chief is the main character. He's who you play as the entire way through. He's like a super soldier, for lack of a better term. Known as a Spartan. Meanwhile, everyone else is just a human. They're Marines for the UNSC, United Nations Space Corps? Is that what it uh, is? Space Command, I think. Okay. If I'm not mistaken. It, it, basically, all of Earth is like, fuck it, we're all together now. And they probably colonized other planets. I don't know. It's probably explained in Halo First's erectile dysfunction meeting. First I don't contact. Know. In a, first contact. I, I think First Contact's the one where they explain the first contact between the covenant and the humans so is that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, johnson in it that is that's sergeant okay. johnson so because he was on harvest which was the planet that the the covenant first discovered and he was the one that like he was one of the only survivors of harvest after it was glassed so there's there's like a ton of backstory but the long and short of it is that the spartan program was a program designed to quell insurgency, which was happening on the outer colonies. So you have the inner colonies, which are the colonies closest to Earth that are easy to get to, and those are all run by the UNSC. And then there's these outer colonies that are further out in space that pretty much are just like mining and resource gathering colonies. And those people felt like they were getting screwed because whether it be like for paying taxes or, you know, just not being able to make a living on those planets. So they were starting to kind of like unionize, but in a more violent way. So they, there were insurgencies that were striking out against the UNSC. The UNSC started this program called the Spartan program where they were using technology to augment soldiers and they were kidnapping kids at the age of six, quick cloning them so that the parents wouldn't know and leaving the clones with the parents and then indoctrinating these children into the Spartan program where they would be trained as soldiers and then given the the most sophisticated high-tech gear that the military had so that way they can just stamp out the insurgency all over the outer colonies. And that was the initial purpose of the Spartans until Harvest came in contact with the Covenant. And then they realized that there was a larger threat and hence why Spartans started being used to, to kind of get rid of the Covenant when they would show up on planets. And that brings us to Halo 1, essentially. You wake up, yeah. you, you start to realize, like, you, you have an immediate sense of self in Halo where... You see your character. It's very obvious this is you. He's already towering over a normal human. Like, for the longest time, I was like, is Master Chief like an alien? Is he a robot? What the fuck is he? It just didn't occur to me. He was just like a yoked out bro of um, a super soldier. Like, he, he's at, what, eight feet tall? Like, some crazy heavy weight, too. And just seven feet tall, and I think he has augmented bones, uh, like bone structure. And the, they don't tell you how old he is in the games either, but it, it because they go into hypersleep, he could be anywhere between like sixteen years old and like forty. So you, you just don't know. And you just understand immediately, you know. In other games like Call of Duty, for instance, not to keep harping on it, but they've always been. It's always been a contentious relationship between the two series call of duty you're usually just like 
World War II guy, like you're a regular dude. Halo has the benefit of being science fiction where it's like, do you never question why you're able to take so many shots from something? It's like, well, dude, I'm a fucking unit. Like, why wouldn't I be able to? You write that off immediately, even if your brain, even if you aren't processing it, your brain is. So it's just a nice little shorthand where you see your character and you're like, that's me. All right, I get it. I understand everything I'm doing now. I get that I'm capable of more than what the AI companions may be able to. And that's another thing. You're not usually alone in this game. A lot of times you have AI partners around you. They're dumb as shit, but they're there. I have seen countless Marines jump in front of a vehicle I'm driving and die. And and it's ridiculous. But it makes me laugh every single time, so I give it a pass. Is it I bad actually AI? Think, yeah. I actually think the AI for the time in this game was actually pretty good. Because Without they they, they employ a lot of tactics. If you go up to them and you're driving a warthog and honk the horn, they'll jump right in. They're, they're really good as far as gunners go. So if you're driving a warthog and you have one of those fuckers in the back, they will mow everything down. And going back to what you were saying as far as, your, as Master Chief's concerned... One of the other cool parts is you may not know the whole backstory to Master Chief. Like you, like I don't think the game ever expected you to read the the, the prequel book to the game, but you do know you're a badass because ninety percent of the time when you run into a group of Marines, they're like, "Hey, look, it's a Spartan," or like, "Hey, get with Chief. Like he'll keep us safe." Like they know that you're better than them in every respect, and. They always just try to help, but it's also cool because every time you show up to a scene, like let's say you're on uh, the second level Halo and you're, you run up to you know the first group of Marines, they'll stop and talk to you, but not only that, their morale is instantly improved. Like They feel like they can win that battle just because Master Chief's there, which I always found cool. And that's what helps bring the actual world to life. Like At no point am I questioning why there's a giant man with these small little Marines or like why they're using ballistic weapons or anything like that. Like, because it's just so natural. They talk to him. Like I imagine somebody would, and it feels right in, in summation because they are just so believable in what they say, how they say it. The voice acting conveys so much emotion when you're driving a warthog, if you go off a hill and land and you get some air and land, the Marines will cheer. They'll be like, yeah, because why the fuck wouldn't they? They're re- the game treats it like they're real people. They would get excited over that. Or if they're like being attacked and really scared, they're going to act like that. The AI works both ways where... The enemy AI is so fucking smart and cunning, but the your companion AI they can also they can also hold their own a bit. They have some ideas. That being said, I feel it important to mention I have seen a lot of Marines throw grenades at walls that bounce back and kill everybody. <laughs> it's yeah, a great true. game. It's not. It's not perfect. The AI is not perfect, but it's not. It does. It's fantastic. It does a good job of. I don't know, making you feel like you're part of that world. 
Like the AI, for the most part, outside of like them throwing grenades at a stupid area, they do a good job of attacking enemies. They feel about as squishy as they should. So you're never going to have a group of Marines go up against a group of elites and fucking win because the elites are always going to kill him, kill them because they have like energy shields and better weapons. But if you have a handful of Marines going up against a handful of grunts, the Marines will take out the grunts. Like it seems like they're like of adequate power, if that makes sense. And yeah, and it just feels good to have them in the game. Like I can't imagine this game without the Marines because it would just feel kind of lifeless when you're we're going up against these enemies. And other the other thing that makes this game feel like you're not alone is Cortana herself. And even though she's not like an actual physical character that you see in the game outside of like a handful of times where she shows up as a hologram, she's constantly in Chief's head, not only telling him what to do, but actually providing kind of good context for what's happening in the game and explaining things to you as a player that you might not know about the world, but in a way that doesn't feel like she's exposition dumping you. Like she's just giving you the information as if she was giving it to chief himself, you know, without a doubt. And having the Marines there, like you mentioned, it brings life to it. It lets you know that this is not an unwinnable battle. And you never question like, why am I the only one involved in this? You're always seeing Marines everywhere. You know, they're working hard. They want to get off of this ring too. And with Cortana, I was thinking about it earlier. It's a great way to have a direction-based character like in your ear telling you where to go when it's applicable. It makes sense, too. They could have gotten away with it so easily just like having a little radio headpiece telling Chief where to go. But they went the extra step, and they were like, well, what if that radio headpiece was a character? What if this was somebody? I don't think they fully knew just how integral to the overall story Cortana would come to be or how important of a character she would become in later installments. Arguably, they probably relied on that too much in uh, much later installments, we'll say. (laughs) Definitely. But, But it's a great idea to have because that's a little extra character building. And it alludes to the idea of like, oh, can Chief have friends? Does this guy I'm playing as have feelings? How much am I supposed to project onto him before it becomes just like, who am I really playing as a character? I would also say that it's pretty impressive because Cortana definitely has more lines than Chief in the game because Cortana is constantly telling you what's going on, you know, where you should be going, uh, why you're on the mission you're on. And Chief just almost goes along for the ride. He's like, yeah, sure, this is this is what we're doing now. But Cortana's running the show. But I feel like both characters feel like equally large in the story. Even though Cortana's talking more and Cortana just has more overall like audio time in the game, Chief, in what he says, in the, the few lines that he has makes such an impact and tells you exactly what that character is about. He's about completing his mission, whatever it might be. But with that being said, he still has kind of a conscience when it comes to things. Um, and I think, uh, should we probably talk about the story now? Cause we're, we're getting like pretty heavy into 
like Cortana in chief. We probably should. One thing to mention real quick before we diverge too far is that dynamic of, you know, the characters always feel like who they are. You know, they never stray too far from that. Master Chief is a military man from childhood, from abduction. Like, this is all he knows. So he's damn good at it. You don't really get a name like Master Chief just because like <laughs> you know what you're doing so it's natural that he's reserved and quiet why would he be talking to himself when he's doing any of this shit that's a great way to have your main character speak without the main character speaking and the voice acting for Kotana is fantastic when she exclaims surprise or anything like that it's like oh oh that's that's fantastic that's good I like that And that's where we're going to end this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you tune in next week for the second half of this episode where we mostly talk about the storyline of Halo and the multiplayer stuff. So if you really enjoyed this, make sure you follow us on your your podcatcher of choice, whether it be Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Pandora or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, Make sure you follow us there and check out next week's episode. And I hope to see you back then. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great day.